Yep, if you're a little one, you can head on back. And uh, nursery workers also. All right. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I hope that uh, everybody's been able to enjoy time with family and friends celebrating the Christmas season. And uh, we're glad you're here with us this morning celebrating as well. Open in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our church members will walk around and hand you one. I was asked if I was going to be preaching a Christmas sermon this morning, and the answer is yes. However, it's not a story about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, but we must remember that when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Advent, the coming of Christ. And when we celebrate Advent, not only do we celebrate the coming of Christ in Bethlehem, we celebrate all the reasons that he came to this earth. Amen? And we also celebrate not only his first coming, but we celebrate his future coming one day again. So by God's sovereignty, we happen to be in a text this morning where we're going to see many reasons why Jesus came to this earth. And we will also be pointed forward to look to the future coming of Christ one day. So look with me now. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Lord, I praise you for your love for us. I praise you for your coming to save Lord, we praise you for Jesus, God in flesh. Help us to see this morning 
more clearly who you are, why you came. Help us to anticipate all the more after this morning your return, your second coming. Give us ears to hear this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This morning, we're going to see six different truths that we can glean from this text about why Jesus came. We're going to find the first truth by understanding the background of verse 31. So look again with me at verse 31. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So most people don't notice the strange route that Jesus and his disciples take when they go from Tyre down to the southeast east side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's understandable because you probably won't realize it unless you have the geography of northern Israel and Syria memorized. To get from Tyre to the east-southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, you did not need to pass through Sidon. In fact, Sidon is pretty much the opposite direction. So Jesus is taking his disciples through a strange, off-the-beaten path to get to where they need to go. And they're not returning the way that they came. Question, why do you think Jesus would want to take his disciples off the beaten path, not back the way that they just came. Most Bible scholars agree that it was to avoid the huge crowds. We've already seen through the first seven chapters of Mark the number of times that huge crowds have come in and pressed against Jesus. Now, why would Jesus want to avoid huge crowds? Seems kind of strange, right? Why would he do that? I think the answer is in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Listen to what Mark writes. Jesus and his disciples passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Why? For he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching his disciples. So why did Jesus sometimes avoid these huge crowds? The answer is our first truth this morning. If you're taking notes, this is our first of six truths. Jesus came to make disciples. Jesus came to make disciples. Jesus sometimes, not always, wanted to avoid large crowds because he wanted to spend time teaching his disciples. He didn't want these guys to just be spending all their time doing crowd control. He wanted to invest in these guys. This is one of Jesus' primary goals while he was on this earth. Listen to Mark chapter 3. We we, uh, read through this some months back. Listen to what Mark says in Mark 3.14. It says that Jesus appointed the twelve, who he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. 
Jesus is investing in this specific group of people because they will one day be the ones to go out and preach the gospel to the world and lead the church. Now, our second truth is going to be found by understanding more background of verse 31. I want us to see that the people that Jesus is ministering to in this text are different from him. They are Gentiles. Look again at verse 31. The text says that the place where Jesus heals this deaf and mute man is by the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So what's the Decapolis? The Decapolis is a word that means ten cities. This region of ten cities is on the east-southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. This ten-city region was inhabited primarily by Gentiles. And it seems like the people who are approaching Jesus in this text are indeed Gentiles. And most scholars think this because when Matthew writes about this same setting of this story in Matthew 15, 31, listen to what he says. When the people saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So Matthew is saying they glorified the God of Israel instead of just saying they glorified God. So it seems like he is indicating that these folks were praising a God not of their own. I wanted to take a moment this morning just to point out this simple truth that Jesus ministered to both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is our second truth this morning about why Jesus came. Truth number two, Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm sure many of you who know your Bibles well might say, duh, Stephen, we know that Jesus came for the Gentiles. We see that all throughout the Gospels. Well, I think it's a truth that's worth dwelling on. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. I'm pretty sure that's all of us. Listen to this bad news for us Gentiles. We were foreigners of the covenant of the promises that God made to his people Israel. We were without hope and without God in the world. We had a barrier, a wall of hostility between us and God and his people. Now listen to this good news for us Gentiles. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about what Jesus did for us Gentiles. Paul says, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, in him, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one. And he has destroyed the barrier, 
the dividing wall of hostility. Praise the Lord for His goodness to us Gentiles. Amen? Praise the name of Jesus that He did not just ignore us Gentiles. Now, let's look at what happened to this deaf and mute man amongst these Gentiles. And let's see the truths that we can learn from this encounter. Look at Mark 7, verse 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. In this account by Mark, he's focusing on one healing that Jesus performed of this deaf and mute man. But the parallel account in Matthew that I've already mentioned, in Matthew 15, it gives more insight into the background of this scene and what's happening. Listen to Matthew 15, 30. Matthew writes, Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put, him at his, put them at his feet, and he healed them. So here again, here is a setting where we have huge crowds coming to Jesus, and they're pressing in to get to him. And what does Jesus do? He takes the time to focus on this one man. Jesus takes the time to love this man. And this is our third truth this morning about why Jesus came. Jesus came to display the love of God. Jesus came to display the love of God. I want us to see this morning the love languages of Jesus toward this man. First, Jesus gives this man his attention. Jesus gives this man his attention. Look at what Jesus does in verse 33. It says, He took him aside from the crowd privately. This is a man that has likely been overlooked by nearly everyone his entire life. Despised, ignored, seen as useless to the society, to culture. But Jesus gets one-on-one with this man away from the masses. Jesus gave him his undivided attention. Next, love language of Jesus to this man. Jesus touches this man. He touches him. Look in verse 33. It says, He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. A man who very few people would ever touch because they saw him as unclean, unattractive, impure, Jesus touched the man. Third, we see Jesus communicate encouragement to this man. He communicates encouragement to him. Look at verse 33 and 34. He put his fingers into his ears, after spitting touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha that is, be opened. So why did Jesus heal the man this way? Is Jesus trying to prescribe a method 
or some kind of ritual that all his followers should uh, do in healing people? No. Jesus healed people in all sorts of ways we see in the gospel. We see times where Jesus merely spoke and the person was healed, like in Mark 10 or Matthew 9 or John 5. We see times where Jesus simply put his hand on people and they were healed, like in Matthew 8 or Matthew 20. We see times where the person merely touched Jesus' outer garment and they were healed, like Matthew 9 and Matthew 14. We see times where Jesus involves spit to heal people, like this passage or Mark 8 or John 9. We see times where Jesus healed people that were miles and miles away from him by him just simply saying that it happened. And it happened, like in Matthew 8, Matthew 15. So Jesus is not trying to establish some sort of healing ritual here. Jesus is finding a way to communicate with this man. He's finding a way to communicate with him. He's using a sort of sign language to personally encourage this man that healing was about to happen. He was about to heal this man, a man who very few people would ever have had communication with. Jesus gets in front of him and communicates to him to encourage him. Healing is about to happen. Now, using spit just seems pretty weird, though. Don't you agree? That's kind of strange. What in the world is that about? Well, um, in that day, many who would claim to be healers in this region would use spit in their act of healing. So scholars think that this was another way that Jesus was communicating to the man that healing was about to happen, that he was about to heal him. So we see Jesus loving this man by giving him his attention. We see him loving him by giving him his touch, and we see him loving him by communicating to him. Now, not only is Jesus displaying the love of God in this healing, but he is also displaying the authority of God. And that's our fourth truth this morning about why Jesus came. Jesus came to display the authority of God. Jesus came to display the authority of God. Look again at verse 34. It says that Jesus looked up to heaven before he healed this man. Jesus looks to heaven because it seems like he wanted this man to know that this healing work is of the kingdom of God. He didn't want this man to just think that he was just some traveling healer. He didn't want him to just think Jesus was another one of the, the folks that was going around trying to heal people. He wanted him to know that this was the work of God. This was God's work. Now, when Jesus healed this man's mouth and ears, this is amazing. Jesus did not just give this man the ability to start learning how to speak. He gave him the ability to what does the text say? Speak plainly. You would expect a man who hasn't spoken 
uh, much in most of his life or hasn't heard an intelligible word most of his life to struggle to speak initially, but not this man. When Jesus healed this man, the text says he spoke plainly. He didn't need to go through speech therapy. He didn't need to go through language lessons. He was instantaneously given the ability to speak plainly like ordinary people. The authority that Jesus displays here over this man's mouth and his speech and his hearing reminds us of something. It reminds us of what God told Moses in the burning bush in Exodus. Remember? Back in Exodus 4.11, listen to what the Lord said to Moses. He said, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight, makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Jesus is displaying that he has the same authority over man's body as Yahweh. Now, when Jesus healed people like this deaf and mute man, he was not just doing it to display the love of God. He was not just doing it to show the authority and and power of God. There is a bigger mission that Jesus is working to accomplish in all this. This type of healing work is Jesus unveiling that he is bringing salvation to his people. And this is our fifth truth this morning about why Jesus came. Jesus came to save his people. Jesus came to save his people. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever even came to the earth, Isaiah prophesied about the time when God would bring salvation to his people. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 35. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The people were waiting for the day when the Messiah would arrive and bring with him salvation and healing. And Jesus is this promised Messiah. But the question we need to ask this morning, we're talking about saving, Jesus saving. What is it that we need saving from? Is it just physical ailments like deafness and muteness? Or do we need saving from more than just viruses and sickness and pain and suffering and cancer and troubles in this life? These things are terrible, as I'm sure we can all attest to, and we all crave salvation from the curse that these things are. But these are only a byproduct of what we truly need salvation from sin and death. Romans 5.12 says this, Sin came into the world by one man, Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. All of us have sinned. We have all been self-centered, hateful, 
divisive, resenting God's authority. And because of this, all of us are trapped in the curse of sin and death. And the consequence of this curse extends far beyond ailments in this life, like deafness or muteness or or cancer or pain. It includes eternal ailment, never-ending suffering, everlasting pain. This is what we deserve. But Jesus, Jesus has come to save his people. Romans 5.15 says, If many died through Adam's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of grace by that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Praise the Lord. God came to this earth as a man. He suffered and died on a Roman cross in our place, and he rose again. He came to bring grace and salvation to all who would have ears to hear his gospel and a tongue to confess him as Lord and Savior. Now, experiencing this salvation that Jesus offers does not mean that right now you're going to experience an end to physical ailments like deafness, muteness, viruses, sickness, pain, suffering. For those of us who are the saved in Christ, we live in a time of already, not yet. Meaning, we are already experiencing the joy of salvation that Christ offers, but we are not yet fully realizing our salvation. While we're here on this earth, we still feel the effects of the curse of sin and death. When Jesus came the first time to the earth, he pulled back. He only pulled back the curtain, giving us a glimpse of what the ultimate salvation of his people would look like. But there will be a future day when Jesus will completely bring salvation, putting an end to sorrow and sighing, putting an end to suffering and pain, putting an end to sin and death. Isaiah prophesies about that day. Again, in Isaiah 35, listen to what he says. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Jesus came to save his people. Now, that would be a good uh, truth to end this sermon on, but we don't want to miss the truth that we can get from verses 36 and 37. Look at them with me. Verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, this is a pretty tough command for Jesus to give this formerly mute man to follow. The guy can just speak for the first time and, you know, maybe his whole life, and Jesus is telling the guy to be quiet. 
Why would Jesus want this man and those around him who saw this to keep quiet about it? Why keep silent? The answer is that Jesus knew the more famous that he became as a healer, the more that the huge crowds would come and follow him. And the more that the huge crowds would come and follow him and press in against him, the more hastily the Jewish leaders would seek to kill him. This is just like what Jesus told his brothers in John chapter 7. Jesus told them that his time to die had not yet come. He still had much work to do to fulfill the scriptures. At this point in time in Mark chapter 7, there are many prophecies that Jesus has not yet fulfilled. And Jesus was not going to be kept from fulfilling this work that the Father had given him. And this is our final truth this morning about why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures. God had ordained before the foundation of the world how he was going to save his people. And the Lord is so gracious to us that he gave us a book to read. And he gave us prophecies and signs in the Old Testament regarding who this Savior would be, what he would do, and what would ultimately happen to him. Did you know that there are over 300 prophecies and signs from the Old Testament that we see Jesus fulfill? That's amazing. This text alone, just these short seven verses, shows us multiple ways that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and signs. As we already discussed, Isaiah 35, it said that God's Messiah would bring healing of people like the deaf and the mute. And what do we see in Jesus? We see him doing this. Also, as we already discussed, Exodus 4.11, Yahweh says to Moses, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And we see Jesus' authority, like Yahweh, over deafness and muteness. Isaiah 42 says, The Messiah will bring forth justice to the Gentiles, and he will be a light to the Gentiles. And what do we see in Jesus? We see him ministering and bringing salvation to the Gentiles. And so I believe we see another fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus here. We see another fulfillment of a sign in the Old Testament in verse 37. Look at it again with me. The people said, he has done all things well. Now, let me explain how we see this as a fulfillment of an Old Testament sign of Christ. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph and David, you may remember that they were both men that God used to save his people. And both of them are considered a symbol or a type of Christ in multiple ways. Do you remember what the scripture said about these two men? Listen closely. Genesis 39.3 says this about Joseph. The Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands. Listen to what 1 Samuel 8.14 said about David. 
And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And what does Mark write about Jesus? He has done all things well. I don't believe it's an accident that David and Joseph, who symbolize Christ in many ways, are described in Scripture in a similar way that Jesus is described here. These two men and the success that they had in the Lord are a symbol or a picture of Jesus Christ who came and did all things well. So, six truths that we see this morning about why Jesus came. In closing, two takeaways. If you're taking notes for you this morning from this text, first takeaway is this. Ask the Lord to give you ears to hear. Ask the Lord to give you ears to hear. Most people in this world are deaf and they don't even realize it. You might say, what in the world? What do you mean? I'm not talking about physical deafness. I'm talking about what Jesus meant when he said, hearing they do not hear and they do not understand. Most people in this world suffer from spiritual deafness. The word of God, like was shared this morning, does not penetrate the heart of people that do not have ears to hear. Ask the Lord this morning, if you think that may be you, to give you ears to hear the truth of his word so that your heart and your mind may be changed and the Lord save you. And to those of us in this room that do have ears to hear, to those who are the saved of Christ, you know people like this. You know people that are spiritually deaf around you. Pray for those people. Pray that God would give that person ears to hear the gospel message. Second takeaway. Ask the Lord to give you a tongue to speak. Ask the Lord to give you a tongue to speak. To the Christian here, to the saved here, we have a word to speak. Amen? We have a word to speak. This passage that we just studied was just seven short verses, and it was full of the riches of the glorious truth of our Lord Jesus. I was having to pull stuff out of this sermon left and right because the scripture is so rich and full of glorious truth for us to glean from and share with the world. Are you using your tongue to speak this truth? Or are you finding yourself mute when it comes to sharing the gospel? Of our Lord. We might not all be gifted teachers set up in a position of teaching in the body of Christ, but all of us are called to speak and teach the gospel to the world around us, every one of us. So my prayer for you this morning is that you would be willing to ask the Lord to give you a mouth to speak, a tongue to declare boldly with courage the truth 
of the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for the manger. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the empty grave. Thank you for coming to make disciples. Thank you for these men that you surrounded yourself with that became leaders in the church. Thank you for establishing the church to declare your truth and your gospel to the world. Thank you for saving us Gentiles. Thank you for opening a way for us to be saved and not ignoring us. Lord, we uh, praise you for your love. Just like you showed to this man, thank you that you care about us intimately. People from down here in South Louisiana or wherever people are from, you care. And we praise you for loving us despite our sin and shameful ways. Thank you, Lord, for the authority of God that you possess and displayed. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you have come to save us. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. What a blessing that you wrote a book and you show us how you have fulfilled the scriptures, how Christ is our salvation. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.